Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good, good, good. A little rain can't keep us down, right? Well, so good to see you guys. If I've not met you yet, my name is Journey, and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. Thank you for coming to worship with us on a Sunday morning. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you give a warm round of applause for all the folks who are joining us online? Thanks for tuning in. Glad that you are with us this morning. We are in week two of our series, Dangerous Prayers. And we began last week by looking at this remarkably dangerous prayer, speak to me. Now, just by a show of hands, um, no no shame in this place. Um, How many of you took the challenge I gave you last week? If you have the guts to pray the prayer, speak to me. Anybody do that this week? Few of us, few of us. All right, that's all right. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you. Take that challenge. I'll tell you, preacher man took some of his own medicine this last week, and uh, and so I, I spent some time with the Lord, um, and I, I cleared out a little space, and I said, all right, God, you know, I should probably, you know, eat what I cook. I should probably practice what I preach. So, Lord, speak to me. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what it looked like for you, but man, it was just a really challenging and convicting and encouraging time that helped me. Um, I didn't know I was going to need the help uh, to be a better husband, um, but God prepared me for an opportunity to do that, and God helped me in some things when it comes to what I'm doing at work and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, man, I want to encourage you, if you did not pray that prayer, I want to encourage you to do so. I alluded to this last week, but truth be told, prayer is not a, a real strong suit for me. Um, I have been a pastor for a little over 15 years now. And if you were a fly on the wall to have heard all of the things that I have prayed for over the last 15 years, you would probably not be very impressed. I mean, yes, when people ask me to pray for them, I pray for them. And every time I tell you I'm praying for you, um, I pray for you. Um, but, but when it comes to like the normal rhythm and normal cycle of things that I pray for, if I can just, is it okay if I just keep it real in, in church this morning? Is it okay? Yeah, well, I'm going to. And if you don't like it, well, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I, I kind of began to realize that there was a rhythm of things that I would pray for. I pray, Lord, I pray that the Sunday service goes well. Yes, Lord. God, I pray that you would help me lead this meeting well. I read a book one time about leading meetings that don't suck. And so, Lord, I pray this meeting doesn't suck. Um, Lord, would you, would you help me to be, uh, would you help me to, uh, to, to, to see in, uh, people and to encourage them and care for them today? And nothing wrong with any of those prayers. But when I picked up the book that this series is kind of inspired by, by Pastor Craig Rochelle called Dangerous Prayers, God convicted me of how safe and how boring my prayers are. And I begin to realize that when I pray these safe, safe prayers, that I, I actually limit some of the profoundly awesome things that God wants to do in my life. And I desperately needed to be shaken free. And I desperately needed to be reminded something that I forget about sometimes. And maybe you need to be reminded of this, that following Jesus was never meant to be safe. It wasn't. I realize that's one of our you know, favorite prayers anytime we're going somewhere, Lord, keep us safe. But I just think that when the, man, when the God that we follow died, it should give us a clue that following him is not going to be safe. Here's what I'm learning about my safe prayers, that I, when I pray 
safe prayers. And there's nothing wrong with any of the prayers that I talked about. But when that becomes really the epicenter, when that becomes the focal point, when that becomes really the, 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 the thing that consumes what I pray about, that, that what happens is when I pray those safe prayers, I reduce the almighty, all-powerful creator of heaven and earth who defeated sin and death, who spoke creation into existence and is going to absolutely stomp Satan on the head when it's all said and done with. I reduce him to a very safe, a very sterile, a very anti-opposition, non-offensive, anybody can just go with the flow. It doesn't matter who you are, what you think. God's not gonna step on your toes kind of God. The other thing I begin to realize is that not only do I reduce the almighty God to something that is kind of like a cartoon character, but I actually take the life, the wild and amazing and awesome journey through the jungle of life that God wants to lead me through, that I actually reduce all of the joy and the thrill and the enthusiasm. I bring it all the way down to something as uninspiring and boring as an episode of Dora the Explorer. And God is trying to shake me loose of that. And I pray that maybe God, if that defines you or describes you, that God would shake you loose of that as well. As we dive into this dangerous prayer today, I feel the need to give a warning. You guys are familiar with the Surgeon General's warnings? Those are the things that are on the packages, then you never read them and you don't care about it. Three of you thought that was funny, okay. Feel like the Holy Spirit would have me give this warning. Warning, this prayer will convict you. This prayer will correct you. This prayer will redirect your life. Praying this prayer will change the way that you see yourself. Warning, this prayer will change the way that others see you. Do not pray this prayer unless you are willing to enjoy the ride. Proceed with caution. That's the warning that that the Holy Spirit is giving us today. And with that as our backdrop, I want to drive into what is our dangerous prayer. And the dangerous prayer is this, search me. Search me. We find this prayer in the book of Psalm 139. It says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into the way Everlasting. When I read this prayer, I'm reminded of some of the awesome stories that my dad used to tell me of his time in the Marine Corps. My dad was a Marine for 23 years, and I had no interest in joining the Marine Corps, none whatsoever. Um, But I did love hearing the stories that my dad would tell about some of the weird, crazy things that happened, especially the stuff that happened in boot camp or that happened in officer candidate school. If you've ever been in the military, if you've ever watched, uh, you know, any of the movies that portray what boot camp is like, you know, it is like a mental gymnastics torture event. They are trying to dismantle and, and, and break down the person that came into boot camp so they can prepare them to be lean, mean, fighting machines. And so there's all these intentional things that they do in the process. Part of it is that they have incredibly high standards. They're trying to instill discipline into these young recruits. And so they have very high standards about how their bed's supposed to be made and how long the sheets are supposed to be and what their footlocker's supposed to look like. And, and my dad would tell me that most of the time, anytime they would do inspections, it wasn't that bad. But you knew you were in trouble when they pulled out the white gloves. Because when they pulled out the white glove inspection, you knew that it wasn't possible that you got everything. 
I mean, and, and really that's kind of the point. I mean, the point is to kind of always keep you on your toes. And so when they pulled out the white glove inspection, it was, it was really designed for the purpose of you think you got your business handled. You think you got your stuff squared away. I'm going to come and show you exactly how unsquared away you are. And so they would come in and they would, they would wipe the big services, obviously, because, you know, that's the big stuff. But that stuff was usually good. But here's what they would do. They would come and they would check in the corners, in the crevices, and underneath, in the sides. And they would come. And if you found, my dad put it to you this way. He goes, if they ever found anything on the glove, you just knew that your next 48 hours was going to be miserable. You were going to do untold physical uh, things, running, push-ups, sit-ups, and you were going to get no sleep, and you might not even eat, who knows. But if they found anything, and it was inevitable that they would, you knew that your life was going to be a miserable, miserable experience for the next 48 hours. And listen, God isn't trying to train you to be deadly, skilled, trained, war-fighting, lean, mean, killing machines. But God is trying to prepare you for a very real spiritual war that's waging, that's raging around us all the time. He wants you to be ready to be able to, to fight the spiritual warfare that is going on. But that's not really the reason why that we should pray this prayer. The reason why we should pray this prayer is because God wants us to understand that he wants us to be more like Jesus. Well, that may not sound very fun. Why, why is God so obsessed with being more like Jesus? Because Jesus made an incredible promise when he issued his desire. He made known what his desires and, and wants for our lives were when he was on the planet. And he was recorded in John chapter 10. It says this, that the thief does not come except to, to steal, kill, and destroy. This is talking about the devil of hell. His greatest joy, the things that bring him the most excitement are the things where something is being stolen, killed, or destroyed in your life. That's what he wants for you. And so he will constantly deceive you. He will constantly manipulate you. He will constantly bait and switch you into all kinds of situations, into all kinds of places, into all kinds of relationships, to do all kinds of things, to convince you that this thing is really, really good. But what you don't see is that it is laced with poison and it is going to steal, kill, or destroy some area of your life. Jesus contrasts that with himself saying, but let me tell you my vision for your life. My vision for your life is that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have a life that is described as more abundantly. He wants your life to be more abundant in freedom, more abundant in joy, more abundant in, in happiness, more abundant in, in experiences that, that, that you, can, you can mold and shape and invite relationships into. Jesus wants your life to be more than, not less than. The problem with so much of what, how people present Christianity into the world today is they present Jesus as this cosmic killjoy in the sky that says his arms are always crossed and every time it looks like you're having fun, he's gonna smite you. Fun, smite. Oh, look at you, you're having so much smite. Oh, you laughed a little too hard at that joke, smitten. That's not who Jesus is. Can I get an amen from somebody? That is not what he is about. He wants our life to be more abundant. But here is the issue. What Jesus is trying to help us understand by contrasting his vision for our life with the devil's vision of our life, he wants us to understand this point, that the more abundant your junk is, the less abundant your life will be. 
the more abundant, the more junk, the more crap, the more sucky stuff, the more things that you, you keep pursuing apart from Christ, the more abundant your junk is, the less abundant your life is going to be. And so we all have, can we just say this is a safe place? This is a, this is an easy place this morning. Listen, can we all just say, we all got junk. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, listen, you messed up. You can turn back to that person and go, well, you busted. We're not talking about, you know, facial features or dental situation. What Jesus is trying to help us understand is he's not talking about in terms of our salvation. He's talking about the life that we live while we're here on earth. And so if you want to be, if you want your life to be more abundant, then you've got to be courageous enough to pray this prayer, search me. So what I want to do is I want to go back to Psalm 139 and I want to take this section by section and unpack what it's saying here. Let's go back to verse 23 and it says this. It starts off by King David. He's the one who writes this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, would you come in and examine the motives and the intent of my heart? Would you come in and examine the motivation for why I say and do what I say and do? Would you examine the intent and the reason why I'm doing the things that I'm doing? Now, listen, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes really smart people say really dumb things. You're laughing because you're one of them. Sometimes smart people say really dumb things. And one of the dumbest things a smart person can ever say when somebody comes to you and they're trying to get some advice about what to do, and you're not really sure. And so you just say this, this has become super popular. Some of you already know it. I'll just follow your heart. Would you just follow your heart? Listen, there are some times where I think that's terrible advice. Like if I'm, if I'm driving and Jessica's in the right seat, the, the passenger seat, and I'm trying to figure out where to go, we don't have GPS pulled up. And she goes, I don't know, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart, babe. I will follow wherever you go. Well, you're dang right you're going to because you're sitting right there. You got no other choice. Well, that's a terrible idea. Before you get super offended, let me, let me offend you a little bit more. This, this advice is almost as dumb as when people go, well, I know my truth. I mean, I have my truth and you have your truth. I know my truth. That's about the dumbest thing anybody's ever said, but I don't have time to preach that message. I just want to say it. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. You know what this is saying? It's in your heart, is never going to lead you to good places. Your heart is sick. Your heart is selfish. Your heart has an insatiable desire for only the things that selfishly gratify the soul, that only gratify the heart, that only gratify the desires. And so, so your heart is so wicked, it will constantly lie to you. You don't believe me. Watch any rom-com in the history of rom-coms. I know that he's broke. He doesn't have a job. I know he abused his last three girlfriends. And I know he's just kind of handsome, but he's just so fun to be around. <laughs> just going to follow my heart. Right? Like, no, it's stupid. 
Your heart will lie to you. It is desperately wicked and nobody can know it. And so what David is saying is, listen, before you just go follow your heart, I'm just going to follow my heart. I want to go into the right-hand lane. Well, there's a semi there. Just follow my heart though, but there's a semi. I'll let you decide how the end of that story goes. So before you follow your heart, I would encourage you to ask God to examine your heart, examine your motives. Notice what it says next. It says, try me and know my anxieties. You know what this is saying? He's saying, would you, would you test my fears? Now, listen, every single person that's in the room, everybody that's watching online, we are all afraid of something. Fellas, I'm going to break the bro code. Okay, I'm going to break the bro code just for a second because you, you, you need this to be broken. A man will almost never. Now, some men are secure enough to do this, but a man will almost never go, sweetheart, I want to sit down and talk. And I want to tell you what I'm afraid of. A man will almost never do that. No, 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 ladies, let me give you a little bit of insight to how, how most men function, how most men operate. Afraid and fear are words that are not acceptable in the man vocabulary. We replace it with a word that's much more, um, you know, much more socially acceptable amongst the man culture. A man will say, will never say, I'm afraid. Instead, he'll say, I've got stress. I'm stressed about this. I'm stressed about that. Now, some of the men are like, I don't know that he's right about that. Sometimes I think I'm just stressed. Just think about it for a little bit. Why are you stressed? And ask why that, why that, why that? And eventually you'll realize there's something you're afraid of. Can I tell you, I'm just gonna, again, I'm just keep it real. You know what causes me to get stressed out? When there's a big decision that's looming about our church that I'm not sure that I'm gonna make the right call on. That stresses me out. You know why it stresses me out? Because underneath the surface, I'm afraid I'm gonna screw it up. Listen, over the last several years, social media has been covered with once good and godly people who made some really dumb decisions and screwed a whole lot of people up. Can I tell you, that stresses me out. I'm afraid that I'm gonna be one of those people that I'll one slip of the foot, one wrong decision, I won't have my blind spot covered and I will make one dumb decision and I will do something. It's not that people are necessarily gonna be mad at me, but what I would do would mess them up so much that it would, it would distort and disrupt and screw up their view of who God is. Can I tell you, that makes me afraid. And every single person, we all have things that we're afraid of. And David is saying, God, would you try me? Would you know my anxieties? Would you know the things that fear me? And I'm not saying that we need to be dominated by our fears, but I am saying we need to become acquainted with our fears. We need to name our fears so that we can talk about them openly and honestly with God and the people around us. Notice what he says next. He says, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Here's what's interesting about this. This prayer was written by David and he spent a massive chunk of his life running away from the king of Israel who hated him because God said, he's gonna be the next king, not you anymore. And so David was constantly running from King Saul, constantly running from Saul's armies. And David says, let if, see if there's any wicked way in me. This is really important that David prayed this because just a couple of verses earlier, here's what David prayed. Oh God, that you would slay the wicked. You know what he's saying? He goes, God, all of them, just kill them all. Just kill them. Just 
hate them, gone, through with. You can do it. You created them by breathing dust in, air into the dust and create a man. You can just kill him. By the way, if you want to be encouraged about how you feel about people sometimes, just go read how David prayed about people in the Psalms. I'll tell you right now, sometimes we need to get some of that stuff out in prayer because it comes out in the way that we treat people. And God's saying, listen, I would much rather you talk about how much you hate your boss, that vile, stupid, evil person. You, you secretly think of throat punching them while they're walking past your cubicle. God's saying, listen, would you pray to me about that before you actually do throat punch them? Here's what's interesting. David, why did you pray this prayer? Why did you pray for all these people to be killed? He says in verse 20, why? Because they speak against you, God, wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. So check this out. God's like, David's like, hey, God, would you kill all of them? Because they talking evil, wicked, speaking against you. But before you do that, <clears throat> would you make sure there's no wicked way in me? So before you start bringing justice, just one first, just real quick. Hold on, time out. Come over here. Lord, would you see if there's any wicked way in me? Because if you start pouring that stuff out, I'm going to get it too, and I don't want to be killed today. See, David prayed this because he knows something that we oftentimes conveniently forget, which is this, that in order for God to be just, he must be impartial when administering justice. God, would you see if there's any wicked way in me? Because if you do the things that I'm praying for you to do to those people that I hate, well, then if, if, if you've not revealed the wickedness in me, then I'm going to be over here in their camp. So God, would you see if there's any wicked way in me? And then he goes on to say, and lead me in the way everlasting. What is the way everlasting? The way everlasting is the life that Jesus promised, the abundant life. The way everlasting is the life lived in holiness that he wants us to live so that we can truly understand what life is supposed to be like in following Christ. The apostle Paul talked about it this way in Philippians chapter three. He says, brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended. So he's saying of all the things that I've done, Paul went on to, to write letters that we're still reading today. He planted churches. I mean, he was the most famous Christian other than Jesus in the world that he lived in. And all the things that he's done and all of his accolades and his before Christ's life, all the things that I've done. He says, I don't count myself to have apprehended. Or in other words, he's saying, I haven't arrived. He said, but this is the one thing that I do. I forget those things which I've already done. Anything that's an accolade, anything that causes somebody to say, oh, Paul, he's awesome. Oh, Paul, he's great. I forget all that stuff. And instead, this is what I do. But I, I, read, I forget those things that are behind and I reach forward to those things that, you're, that are ahead. And I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, y'all, I haven't arrived yet. I've got work to do. I've got, I've got room to grow. There's more of me that needs to be conformed to the image of Christ. So I've got work to do. This is the way everlasting. It's the never-ending ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus in my mind and the things that I think, the things that I dwell on, the things that I daydream about, becoming more like Christ and, and the assumptions that I have of people and situations. 
becoming more like Christ in, in the things that I do and how I do them, becoming more like Christ in the words that I say. Not only the words that I say when I'm in traffic and someone cuts me off, glory to God. You're number one. Wrong finger. You're number one. But also in the things that we say to ourselves. Becoming more conformed to the image of Christ, the way that we handle our time, our talent, and our treasure. Listen, here's what praying this prayer does. When you pray the prayer, search me, what you're doing is, is you're giving God permission and the Holy Spirit permission to come in to your life to do a, a white glove inspection. These are, by the way, the smallest white gloves I've ever seen anywhere. One size fits most. Apparently, I am not most. See, here's the deal. Most of us, most of us, even if we're not a Christian, most of us do a pretty good job of handling our business. We make sure the big stuff is covered. We have just enough of the big things kind of cleaned up and covered up that, that, that we're able to present this, this plastic facade that serves as a, black, a blockade that keeps people at distance because if they knew who I really am, well, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And I'm convinced that a lot of us do the same thing with God, that we, we present this facade and, and it serves as a blockade to God. And it's like, God, you know, I, you, don't, you don't really want all of me, Jesus, because if you had all of me, you know, I don't know, you'd probably have to get crucified again. When you pray this prayer, what you do is you give God permission to come in with the white gloves. And, and yes, he's going to look at the big stuff, but he's going to get, he's going to get underneath and he's going to get in the, in the corners and the crevices. And he's, he's going to look at all this stuff. And can I just tell you, this is not going to be one of the most fun prayers you'll ever pray. In fact, at times when you pray this prayer, the byproduct of it will at times be painful because you're giving God access to your life and, and, and you're asking him to find some things and his purpose in finding things isn't to minimize your life. It's not to take away from your life. It's to give you more of your life. It's to give you access to the abundant life that he said he promised you. But here's the problem. Most of us do a really good job of when, 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 the, when the glove comes out and we, we look at the stuff and, and we find, oh, there's just little smudge, little dirt. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little smudge, a little speck. It ain't nothing but a thing, you know, just a little something. Yeah, I'm, I was, my bad, I, I didn't quite get to that one. Let me help you see what God sees. Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What God sees when he sees those little smudges, you see smudges, but here's what God sees. God sees this. God sees weights. You notice what it says. It says, let us lay aside the, the, the weights. Can I tell you, these aren't even sin things. This is just stuff that's just not good. It's not a good idea. 
It's not offensive to God. It's not necessarily even wrong. It's just not good. It's not good for you. And so what happens is, 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 is our lives, we, we end up carrying these weights and they, they weigh us down and we carry them and we carry them in, into our conversations. We carry them into our meetings. We carry them into work. We've carried them into church today. Oh, it's just a little smudge. No, 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 it's not just a little smudge. What God sees is a weight. And not only that, but God also sees other things. Matter of fact, I'm gonna need some help with this. John, can you come help me with this? I don't know where you are. But it says, let us, let's lay aside the weights and, and the sin. You can come right down here, John. It'd be a little bit easier to do it down here. That ensnares us. This word, this word ensnares. What it, what it literally means is that it, it wraps around us so that we can't move. We can't run. We can't live or be the way that we're supposed to. And what sin does is it ensnares us. Thanks, John. And what happens is, is, is we're living our life and, and we want to stretch out, we want to stride out, we want to run, but we can't because we've got this sin that has ensnared us. You go, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a little smudge. It's just, it's just a little bit of my character, just a little bit of my integrity that I've sacrificed. It's not that big of a deal. That's what you see on the glove, but what God sees is a chain around your ankle. Oh, it's, see, you don't understand. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. I ain't about to forgive them. You see, you withholding forgiveness, it might feel like a small smudge, but what God sees is something that's holding you back. Oh, listen, you know, I mean, that's just so old school. You know, I mean, I know we're not married yet. We're just dating. We're just kind of hooking up. We're just kind of trying to test things out. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, come on, nobody really lives that way anymore. Nobody waits till they're married to have sex anymore. It just looks like a little smudge to you. You know what all this is? These are the lies of the devil that we have believed. The same one whose vision for our life is to steal, kill, and destroy. These are the lies that we believe. And we have become deceived into thinking that these small things are just smudges, a little, a little blemish on a white glove. But what God is saying is, no, it's so much worse than that. I want you to understand that this right here, this is not the life I created you to have. This right here, carrying this, not able to stretch out your legs, not being able to run at the full pace and the full clip that I created you and designed you to run in that I desire for you to run in. I created you for something different. Why are you still believing the lies of the enemy? And what happens is, is that, is that we've become so accustomed to this and we look around everybody else and everybody else seems to be dealing with the same stuff. And we just begin to think that this is normal, that this is normative. This is how life is supposed to be lived. This is what God wants for us. And I'm here to tell you today, this is not normal. Let me rephrase it. It might be normal, but it's not abundant. So this is how we live. What God wants us to see is that it doesn't have to be this way. What God offers, the life God offers by faith in Christ by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is a life that doesn't look like this at all. 
You see, when you have a relationship with Christ, the reality of it is, is that by your relationship with Christ, Jesus sets you free from sin's penalty. Because of sin, because we've all sinned and we've all done wrong things, Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when we place our faith in Christ, that, that, that none of these things that we carry, that, that, that we don't have to face the consequences of it, that we don't have to pay the price of it, that, that, that Jesus died. And because Jesus died, anytime there's sin or a blemish, anytime the Holy Spirit comes in and finds something that maybe you didn't even know was there, all God can see is his son when he looks at you. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't chastise. He, 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 he's not angry at you. He's not gonna, gonna condemn you to hell. He's not gonna smite you. That in Christ, we've been set free from sin's penalty. But here's the second part that so many people never fully tap into. That your relationship with Jesus allows you to do something else because Jesus sets you free from sin's power. And all of the, the fear and the anxiety, God, would you, would you search my heart, the motives and the intent of my heart? Would you, would you know my fears and would you, would, would you help me become acquainted with them so that I can recognize that every place, every place where fear shows up reveals somewhere where I'm not trusting you. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And Jesus says, listen, if you'll let me, I'll bring the Holy Spirit in. If you'll give me access, I'll put a white glove treatment on it and I'll help you see everywhere that you've got weights in your life and I'll help you realize how you can drop them. Not only does Jesus want to help you figure out how you can drop the weight, Scripture always also says that Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. Scripture says that whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. And so these areas of sin in our life that, that we keep getting caught up in, Jesus says, listen, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that in me, you have everything you need to be set free. In Christ, we can take off the shackles of sin. We can finally be free to live how he designed us to live. Here's the deal. God loves us so much that he gives us the gift of conviction and correction. Because even though we might be set free from sin's penalty and set free from sin's power, what happens is, 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 is we get lied into, we get lured into putting the chains back on. And by the way, it will almost always happen by somebody else encouraging you or, or guiding you or, or, or walking with you into sin that you shouldn't be a part of. This is why, by the way, the people that you spend your time with become critical. Because if the people that you are spending the majority of your time with that you admire and you look up, up, up to, if, they, if you don't see something about them that you respect and admire about Christ in them, then, then it's inevitable that you'll end up putting these back on. 
And so God gives us the gift of conviction and correction. When we pray the prayer, search me, so that we can, we can find the weights that we're living in and we can, we can find the, 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 the chains that we're, that we're carrying and so that Jesus can show us, hey, here's another spot. Here's another area where you're carrying something you shouldn't be carrying. Here's another area where you've put on chains that I died so that you could be set free from. When we pray this prayer, God, would you show me? God, would you search me and would you show me if there's anything in me where I'm carrying something that you don't want me to carry, where I'm chained to something that's holding me back? And God will send in the Holy Spirit with a white glove inspection. And he will bring correction, he will bring conviction, and it's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. You will likely have moments where you have a feeling of shame about something you're carrying or something you're chained to. And the point and the purpose of this conviction and correction is not to hurt you. The point of the, of the correction and the conviction is not to bring shame to you. The point of the correction and the conviction is so that you can be aware of something that feels normal, that's not supposed to be normal in the abundant life. The point of correction and conviction is so that you can get on with experiencing the most life-giving thing that you can possibly feel the moment when you finally drop that weight or the moment that the chains finally come off. As Brian comes up to play the keys, I just want to ask this question today. Have you been saved by Jesus? Have you been set free by Jesus? If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you know by faith in Christ, I know I'm a Christian. I know I belong to Jesus. And I hear you say that I've been set free from sin's penalty and set free from sin's power. But, but if that's the case, why do I still feel so weighed down by things? Why do I still feel so, so, uh, why is that so hard? Why, 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 why is everything so difficult? Why are there areas of my life where, where, where I feel tied down and chained down to things? But I want to challenge you. Be bold enough. Be courageous enough to pray this prayer. Jesus, would you search me? And as you do, let me give you four real quick points. What do you do when you pray this prayer and the Holy Spirit shows up and shows you some stuff? The first thing you gotta do, four steps of freedom. Number one, own it. Okay. Okay, Lord, I understand. See, we try to do is we try to get defensive. We try to justify. We try to, well, what had happened was, is <laughs> That's just wasted energy, y'all. You know what happens when we do that? that that's us saying, you know, God, I, I hear you say that maybe that that's not good for me, but I think it's kind of a cool fashion accessory. I kind of like it. No, just, just own it. And then after you own it, confess it. What does that mean? You say, okay, God, I, I, I hear what you say. I, I see what you're pointing to and I own that. You're right. You just confess it by saying, God, I'm sorry. I know that's not what you want from me. Would you forgive me? 
The third thing you do is you repent from it. What does that mean? Well, you've owned it, you've confessed it, and now you say, God, I'm gonna turn away from that now. Well, actually, it's here. I'm gonna turn this way. I'm gonna turn away from it now. I'm gonna go a different direction. I'm not gonna keep going back to that place. I'm not gonna keep going back to those DMs. The next time I'm in a situation where I'm tempted to do this, I'm gonna make sure I've got somebody with me. I'm gonna do something different. And this last point, before you write this down, can I tell you that this last point may very well be the most empowering thing that you can do. It may very well be the missing link to finally help you feel set free. You've got to own it. You've got to confess it. You've got to repent from it. And then you need to go tell someone about it. Because the book of James says, that when we confess our sins one to another, that's when we get set free. Because we've got people that can encourage us, that can challenge us, that can pray for us, that can walk with us when we feel like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. As a brother and sister in Christ, I want to challenge you, pray this prayer, search me. Search me, oh God. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then I just want to tell you 2,000 years ago, God loved you so much that he sent his son to down the cross that while you and while I and while the whole world was still carrying their weights, while the whole world was still chained to their sin, Christ died. And he didn't die after you got your mess cleaned up. He died before you ever knew you even had a mess that needed to be cleaned up. And today he is inviting you. Would you let me set you free? Would you let me set you free from sin's penalty? Would you let me set you free from sin's power? And whether you are here as a follower of Christ or maybe you're not, can I just tell you, when you pray this prayer, when you give God access into your heart to do the white glove inspection, when you follow these steps, you will not only be set free, but your life will be changed. Your life will be redirected. You will no longer see yourself the same when you look at yourself in the mirror. You won't see just guilt and shame and and the things that you did. You'll begin to see something new. You'll begin to see someone who was loved and accepted and chosen and called a son or daughter of the Most High God. And not only will you begin to see yourself differently, those around you will begin to see you differently as well. This is what's possible when you pray this dangerous prayer. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.